Hey, thank you. Ah, let me just have a look around. So good to see all of you, and uh, thank you for inviting me to to this precious time to spend with you. You know, when I come to see a community church, I always feel like I'm 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 visiting family because uh, God has given me a lot of connection. In this church, you know, Pastor Steve and Pastor Wade, we've kind of worked together in ecumenical things like Walk to Emmaus. Uh, we've had many a Walk to Emmaus meeting here uh, in preparation. And, uh, and Pastor Wade and I were serving at Basileia, which was a spiritual formation course that was run um, across different churches, led by uh, Pastor Bob Jones and Pastor Rob Penner. Um, and of course, Brenda. We've been friends for so long and I feel like a soul sister with Pastor Brenda and we worked together um, on that faith and work thing which was just so fun. And she was a keynote speaker. She was the keynote speaker at one of my women uh, conferences there. and uh, we had a great fun dancing to ABBA, didn't we? <laughs> in front of 100 plus people. Uh, and that was great. And of course, the other connection I have is with Eugene over there. Um, you poached him from us. <laughs> but I love my brother there uh, of a different mother. We, we are bonded in unity through our common love for um, Penang Hokkien Mi. <laughs> which is prawn noodles, for those who don't know this. Um, so it's wonderful to be here with you. I feel like I'm among family. Um, and I hear that you've been going through a series on the stories in the Bible uh, and what that teaches you. And uh, I have chosen the story of Ruth um, this morning, for us this morning. So in my younger days, this story never captured me. It seems like the only worthwhile feature that most preachers preach on Ruth is uh, about her faithfulness to her mother-in-law. Great as that is. Uh, and then the story seemed to quickly pivot to make Boaz um, the hero of the story, even though the book was named after Ruth. Um, something about that just didn't jive with my inner sense. And it left me kind of underwhelmed and resigned to the fact that you know, a woman can't even be a hero in her own story. <laughs> but in recent years, uh, I've been given new eyes to see that story uh, and the theological wealth that's buried in this tiny book of just four chapters. Thanks to Carolyn Custis James, um, who wrote this book called The Gospel of Ruth. And um, Carolyn also was one of my speakers uh, uh, in the women's conference, the very first that I organized when I joined Island ECC, called Half the Church. This is another great book that, that she wrote. And she spoke on Ruth in such a confounding way that it connected a lot of the dots for me. I hope I can do the same for us today. So let's set the scene for everyone as to what the story is about. We hear of a Jew by the name of Elimelech, uh, who moved out of Bethlehem due to famine with his family, his wife Naomi, and two sons. And, uh, and uh, the, the sons grew up and they married two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. But Elimelech died 
And then the two sons also died soon after, leaving um, these three widows in poverty. And so Naomi decided to return to Bethlehem in, in her mind, you know, just to die. You know, things were just so desperate uh, and devastating. And she persuaded and she, she asked her daughters, you know, to return to their families, you know, and to find husbands for themselves because they were still young, you know, so that they will have a hope and a future because that she had nothing in her that she could give um, that would constitute anything that looks like a future for them. Um, Orpah, one of the uh, daughters-in-law, weepingly left Ruth, but Ruth stuck. I mean, weepingly left Naomi, but Ruth stuck with Naomi and refused to leave her. And this is where that famous verse appears that everybody preach on, where she says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you, because where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. That is such a deep love commitment, don't you think? You know, from, from Ruth to Naomi. So Ruth and Naomi returned to Bethlehem where everyone knew their story. You know, everybody was going around talking about, you know, Naomi's back and she's home and she's, she's got this daughter-in-law called Ruth that has stuck with her. To survive from destitution, Ruth went to glean in the barley fields, which is a provision uh, under the Jewish law for poor people to help themselves by picking leftover grains, you know, in the edges of the fields. A lot of coincidence coincidences then happen in the story from this point. Um, so Ruth happens to glean in the field of Boaz, who is a close relative. Boaz happens to turn up in the field as Ruth was gleaning and noticed her and was able to show great kindness to her and Naomi. Um, you have to read the details of how kind he was. Um, and after the harvest was over, Naomi decided um, to uh, figure a future for Ruth and actually advise and coach Ruth to go to Boaz and persuade him to help them out of their destitution by marrying Ruth. Um, and Boaz, as it turned out, was highly inspired to help them and to work a way out um, through their Jewish laws to redeem as a guardian to redeem Elimelech's land and also have the responsibility to marry young Ruth. Um, and then they had a child and lived happily ever after. <laughs> now, those of you who have read the story yourself know the finer details. And if you haven't, I, I commend you to go read the details yourself. Four chapters, very quick. But, you know, see what I mean by the trajectory of the story? Uh, the prince in shining armor rides in and saves the day. And the damsels in distress, which is Naomi and Ruth, are safe from destitution and poverty. Disney at its best. But this story is not so lightweight or cartoonish. There is so much more. You know, the Bible is full of stories of individuals in the Old Testament that foreshadows what God will do in the New Testament. The technical term for this is a type. 
okay? And Webster Dictionary says this, a type is a person or a thing in the Old Testament uh, believed to foreshadow another in the New Testament. So in the book of Ruth, Boaz is always preached and portrayed as a type of Christ, our Redeemer, who came and brought us back and rescued us from destitution to give us a hope and a future. And indeed, he is a type of Christ. It is a very comfortable script that we are all easily slipped into. It's something that Hollywood uses time and time again. And I would like to propose that it's comfortable because it is the water that we all swim in. And this water is patriarchal in essence. The man is the natural hero. He is the one with the power and the capability and the wealth and the resources and the responsibility to rescue and fix the problem. My purpose is not to take anything away from Boaz and from his goodness and his kindness. But that simplistic storytelling leaves me asking a lot of questions, or left me asking a lot of questions. Why did Boaz notice Ruth in a field of so many women and strangers harvesting in his field? Right? You know, doesn't when you read the word of God, you know, you should pause and ask, that's strange. How come? Right? And we can't always have the, um, the Sunday school answer, oh, because Jesus. <laughs> or because God, right? You know, we have to wrestle with the whys. Why did Boaz go above and beyond from their first meeting to ensure their safety and their provision? Why did Boaz say to Ruth when she humbled herself before him, asking him to marry her, he said this, this kindness, we'll come back to that word, this kindness that you are doing is greater than that which you showed earlier. What does he mean by this? You know, it's almost like Boaz is saying, you're doing me a favor rather than the other way around, right? You know, doesn't that make you stop and ask like, why did Boaz say that? Okay. And what inspired him to go above and beyond so that he will get the right to marry Ruth and to preserve someone else's line, Elimelech's line. You know, a lot of people preach on it and, and some of them will say, oh, because he fell in love with Ruth. Okay. Romantic love is too cheesy and shallow. But so often we look at these stories through the limiting lens of our own culture. We interpret the story by adding our own salt and vinegar. Gayim, gachou, right? For those of us. Um, to make it conform to what makes sense to us to our 21st century eyes. If ever there were two unmatching pair, Boaz and Ruth, this would be it. He is old, she's young, he is rich, she is destitute. Why would Boaz do what he did in the story? You know, and some preachers that I've heard over the years say, oh, because Ruth must be beautiful. <laughs> As if, you know, that's the thing that would uh, mob mobilize um, Boaz to, to do this thing, right? Probably not, you know? Um, and we don't know, but the text doesn't say it, so we should not impute these things on the text, right? Oh, some people that preach, uh, Ruth, I've heard this preach before, Ruth was a Moabite princess. I don't think so. <laughs> you know, Moabite, Moabite princess would not marry a family that obviously uh, was uh, 
not from a wealthy background, okay? Um, or, you know, sometimes we read this and to try and, and resolve the dissonance or the uncomfortable little questions that pop up, you know, um, in this story, we boost Boaz's Christ-likeness uh, in his sacrifice and his generosity, um, you know, in order to kind of make, make it make sense to our 21st century minds. We're going to find out more about you know, more of the story. I would propose that Ruth herself is a type of Christ in the way that is so full and so rich and that I hope to draw out for us today. And why do I say that? There are two Hebrew words in the story of Ruth that had gotten lost in translation. The first word is chesed. This word appears three times in the book of Ruth, in a, a book that's only four chapters long. It appears about 247 times in the Old Testament, which tells us that it is a very important word, right? You know, that's telling us something about God. So the three times in Ruth, uh, if you have your notes, you know, it's in Ruth 1.8. I don't have time to read it all out to you. Ruth 2.20 uh, and Ruth 3.10. 1.8, 2 3.10. And it talks about, you know, how God showed kindness. Um, no, it, 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 the, the first one, actually, very quickly, is Naomi saying, you know, go, go, go back home, you know, and thank you for your kindness that you have shown, you know, for, for, uh, to me, just like God's kindness to us. Um, there's no equivalent in the English language, has said. It is very, variously translated through the Bible, as loving kindness. So when you see loving kindness, chances are it's chesed. Uh, it's, it, sometimes it's goodness. Sometimes it's translated as favor. Kindness, mercy is another word. So for example, in Micah 7.18, you will see who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show chesed. Okay, or in Lamentations 3, 21 to 22, uh, where it says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because the Lord's great chesed, we are not consumed. For his compassion never fails. Chesed is something that Jews were very familiar with. 200 and, what was it, 47 times in, yeah. They were very familiar with it. It is part of God's character, you know, an essential part of God character, who God is to them. And they understood it and counted on it. They counted on God's chesed because if it wasn't for God's chesed, you know, they, they should be decimated because of their unfaithfulness, because of their failings, because of their weaknesses, okay? And God also commands them to show chesed to one another. That's what a lot of the chesed also refers to. And those who has this chesed characteristic among the Jews were seen as leaders among them, greatly admired and held up. You know, my friend Michael Card, who is a singer, songwriter, biblical scholar, and he's been here before. You know, he came and, and taught here before. He wrote the word El Shaddai, 
I think that's kind of the most famous thing that people would know about Mike. Uh, and this is Mike's definition. He's obsessed by this word. And he recently wrote a book on Hesed. And uh, this is his, uh, his definition of Hesed. It's when a person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. When the person from whom I have the right to expect nothing gives me everything. You know, Ruth gave everything to Naomi without counting the costs um, through sticking with Naomi, even though there was no future. She didn't count the costs. Ruth showed the kind of said to Naomi that God had been showing throughout the generations to his people. That was why Boaz was captured by this foreigner because of her said. Not only was she not Jewish, but was showing a characteristic of God that was held so highly. She was a woman. That's why he was fascinated. And that's why among all these people gleaning in his field and harvesting also in his field, he spotted this woman that the whole town had been talking about. He was intrigued and wanting to see who she is. And this to me, explain why he was so motivated to go above and beyond in so many different ways in the story. And how do we know this? Because in this very verse, in Ruth 3.10, when Ruth went and humbled herself before him and said, will you, will you marry me to help us out of our desperate destitution? He turned around and said, this has said, this kindness, you see, translated as kindness, okay? When people read kindness, and then because the other half of the text says, you know, you didn't go after all the young men, but, you know, you, you came to me, right? And people think, oh, you know, uh, Ruth is young, he's old, and, you know, therefore Ruth, you know, Boaz was so grateful that a young woman wanted to marry him. It's too simplistic, people. He, was, he wasn't just talking about kindness, he was talking about this chesed, this quality of God that you have shown to Naomi that the whole town knows about, you know. Um, and now you coming to me, you know, in such um, sacrifice and humility, you know, for the sake of Naomi's family is even greater chesed. That is why. And that's why he then said, you stay here. I'm going to sort it all out. Don't worry about it, you know. Um, um, I'll fix it. And then he went above and beyond. Even though it wasn't his right to be the guardian redeemer, he went and very cleverly made it such that he had the right to buy uh, the land um, and do what he wanted to do. Boaz, Boaz went on to say to Ruth, oh no, this leads to another word that is also lost in translation in the book of Ruth. And that word is hail. Hail. Which... Boaz went on to say to Ruth, all the people, oh no, sorry, all the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. He said that to her. And if you do a word study of Hail, you will find that this is used 224 times in the Old Testament for both men and women. For men, you will find in our English translation, it's mostly translated as Valiant, capable, brave. 
And uh, for women, it is translated as noble. Okay? Now, when you hear about a woman being uh, of noble character, what picture does it come up in, in your 21st century mind? For me, it's like, uh, I don't know, medieval lady, you know, head held up high, you know, quite proud. Proud as in, you know, satisfied that life is good. She's lived a good life. You know, she's been doing good stuff. And so she's a noble character, right? I wonder if that's what Boaz meant in the book of Ruth. You see, words matter. Translation matters. Because it is on translation that interpretation rests a lot of times. Don't you think valiance fits more with Ruth's resilience, her bravery, and her self-sacrificing acts? Actually, she was putting herself in danger by going gleaning because it is known that a lot of these poor people, women especially, they would get raped. And again, if you go back to the book of Ruth, you will see Boaz actually telling the men, stay away from her. Don't you touch her. You know, and you will find that he advised Ruth to say, go and glean with my women, okay, so that you will be safe, okay? So, let's read this with new eyes. All the people of my town know that you're a woman of noble character. Or, all the people of my town know that you are a woman of valiant character. Or, all the people of my town know that you are a valiant woman, do you know where else this word is used in relation to a woman? It's the Proverbs 31 woman. A wife or a woman of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. And that chapter is the very last chapter of Proverbs and it describes all the characteristics of this wonderful, you know, uh, woman of noble character. What if we change that to a wife or woman of valiant character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. You know, in our Bible, the book of Ruth is squeezed between Judges and 1 Samuel. Did you know that in the ancient Hebrew tradition, the book of Ruth comes immediately after Proverbs, after Proverbs 31 uh, in the Jewish Bible? The writer of Proverbs 31 poses the question, a woman of valiant character, who can find? And then goes on to tell the story of Ruth, who is the flesh and blood example of how that was lived out through the hard and messy middle of life. That is what valiance, that is what strength, that is what courage looks like. Okay, strength and power. When you think about strength and power, what conjures up in your mind? Do you mostly lean towards the Joshua's, the Nehemiah's, the David's, you know, uh, in the Bible, the conquerors. This is the way the world sees it. We, with our cultural, patriarchal, modern eyes, tend to follow the script that strength and power looks like wealth, looks like status, looks like authority and position. But strength and power in the full-fledged kingdom looks like Jesus. Strong but meek. Resilient and utterly humble. Poor in spirit. And Jesus spelled it out for us in Beatitudes. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who suffer and thirst after righteousness. Strength and power in the full-fledged kingdom looks like 
Ruth. The portrayal of Ruth's strength is closer to Jesus' strength and power in meekness, in submission, in serving. Okay, let me land this thing. The application. <laughs> so what? Right? What does Ruth tell us? I hope I have stimulated your desire to read Ruth again, and this time with fresh eyes. I hope I have succeeded in reframing that story for you through a less patriarchal lens. And that, with, that this will ultimately point you to a richer connection with God, with Jesus. As people of God, I hope through Ruth we can see what God's type of power and strength lives like and not fall into the easy trap of thinking otherwise. Hopefully, this heals us of hero-worshipping and elevating um, and supporting the wrong kinds of characters in or outside the church. We need the Holy Spirit to keep realigning us to his kingdom values and not muddle it with the world's values. As a woman, I hope Ruth's story gives us a powerful role model of what strength can look like in the larger story of God. But that is another preach. <laughs> As men, I hope it gives you eyes to reframe the way you see the women, and sometimes the men, other men around you, that submission is not weakness. Silence is not no opinion. Dogged commitment is not no potential. Are there heroes hiding in plain sight around you? This understanding should give you rest to know that God has surrounded you with helpers. Azer, another Hebrew word. But again, that is another preach, which rightly translated should be fighter aids. God has given you fighter aids around you because he knows it is not good for man to be alone. Lastly, as I was preparing this, I felt that someone here or online may need this word. Are you in a place like Naomi? You may be feeling that the Lord has afflicted you and has made you empty. You know, in the last three years of the hardness in our city, um, all, the, all, all the, the things that has happened to you, um, you may have fallen sick, you may have lost your job, um, you may have broken family relationships as a result of all the things that's happened. And you wonder, why? Why would you fall into such hardness and even a sense of destitution? And you may be saying deep in your heart, God, just depart from me. I wish I had never known you. Maybe then it would make more sense. But I cannot match what I think I know about you and what I am actually going through right now, like Naomi. I'm bitter, I'm empty, I feel hopeless. Well, hear what Jesus says to you through the well-worn words of Ruth to Naomi with new ears, new ears. Hear it as Jesus saying this to you. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people are my people. Even death 
cannot separate us. Such is my commitment to you that I will never leave you or forsake you. And this rings true, don't you think? When you read at Psalm 139, even in the depth of darkness, God, you are there, right? Or when you read Romans, you know, the breadth, the depth, the height, you know, width of the love of God. That is God's said towards you, towards us. And Ruth showed what that lives like through the lowest valleys until such time when God fulfilled his promises through her. And friends, God will fulfill his promises to you and to me. We read at the very end that Boaz, through Ruth, gave birth to Obed. Obed became the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of David, the lineage through whom God chose to come into the world for you and for me. And because of that, you and I will live happily ever after. Let me pray. Father God, your word is sharper than a double-edged sword, living and active. Lord, thank you for your said to us. Thank you for Ruth showing what it lives like. Thank you, Jesus, that your said came your committed love is never ending. Your faithfulness to us never fails. Lead us to show this has said to one another as the body of Christ, Lord. For those who may be hurting, who may be low, I pray that the body here would lean in rather than lean out of showing has said to those who are hurting and in need. Lord, raise your church here. May your kingdom come. May your will be done here as it is done in heaven. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen.